Hello and welcome to another installment of the Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today, I am very pleased to say we are joined by Julio Costa. Julio is a data scientist at Fulham and has held multiple recruitment and performance performance analyst roles, including some time at Mansfield Town as a recruitment scout. Julio is joining us today to talk about life as a data scientist in football. So Julio, sorry, I called you Julio. The reason I've called you Julio instead of Julio by mistake there is because Sunderland used to have a player called Julio Arca that everyone used to call Julio. <laughs> so that's just a bit of habit. Uh, but welcome to the show. Um, how are you doing today? Uh, thank you so much. I'm doing uh, well. Actually, we're not wrong because because I'm Portuguese, so we do pronounce the J. Ah, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm used to it. You know, like I know a lot of people that just call me Julio. I'm whatever. Like as long as you spell it right, I'm completely fine with that. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I mean, Hulu Walker is Argentinian, so there must be that, that difference there. But um, but yeah, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Before we get into the episode, is it true you, Is it true from your Twitter bio that you speak five languages? Is that true? Yes, it is very true. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've barely got a grasp of English, so I mean, you've, you've knocked me out the water. Um, so Julio, just to, to kick things off... Um, do you mind letting our listeners know about your background um, in football? And, uh, and yeah, have you always worked in, in the data side? So, yeah, so my background is quite really interesting, uh, considering I'm a data scientist. I, <laughs> I was, a, well, I played football um, in smaller clubs in, in Lisbon. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was not very good. I was very average, uh, right back. Couldn't even deliver across to the box. <laughs> much, yeah. And the only thing I had was pace. And this was like, I don't know, 20 years ago, where right backs, you just run and track back and that's it. You don't pass the halfway line. And, you know, I, I, I think with players like Cafu and stuff like that, things started to change a little bit. A little bit mm. And it's interesting how now you see trends and that's like, the process of the evolution of football in terms of just one position. Um, mm. And yeah, and I was a very average uh, football player, you know, played some futsal as well. Uh, it was quite fun and um, had a lot of injuries as well. And I thought I'm not going to make it. And then Mourinho uh, came to Stardom in, in Portugal and every kid who played football manager or championship manager <laughs> You know, it's like, okay, I want to be the next Mourinho. I want to watch, I don't know how many hours of football from my pre and teenage years uh, just to learn as much as a football as I could because it was something I really wanted. And after my high school, my grades were not that great. So obviously I had to take a sabbatical one year to just figure things in life and Came a really good opportunity for me to improve my English actually in Texas. So I moved to Texas when I was 19. And from there, just improving, uh, going and uh, apply for actually my undergrad degree. I applied for computer science. But as my freshman here, it was really tough with some of the classes. So I just decided Mm. I really want to follow my dream of being a football coach. And I, I changed my major to sports and coaching. And after graduating and having some interesting experiences, just like as a volunteer coach in, in the, the men's club, which was not even a proper team, it was just a men's club. 
and say, okay, that was quite interesting going around and see how uh, the coach would prepare the sessions and things like that would help out just the basic things. And then I moved to London and started coaching for, let's say it's three straight, uh, four years and four years of coaching, uh, improving a lot, just smaller teams, things like that eventually start coaching different levels uh, in in uh, small clubs and things like that. And I got to work for the Chelsea Foundation as well, which was quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, it was a bit of a step up in terms of, of how good the kids were. But then again, you could see maybe three players that could have a go at the academy, but it's just really crazy how a lot of kids, and, and I mean, we've been there as kids, you really dream to become a football player, but the level that you're required to do that at a high level is just insane. Yeah. 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 And, and from there, just coaching and then lockdown number one happened. And I'm currently finishing a master's at St. Mary's University in performance coaching. And I had a really interesting module in performance analysis uh, just before the first lockdown, that semester in January uh, 2020. And I really enjoy it, really like it. I thought it was really interesting to mix it up with coaching. So I started working for two clubs. One was for Kent uh, Football United, um, girls under 16 team. It was a quite interesting experience as well. It was the first time I was uh, coaching uh, in the women's game. Alongside, I was uh, coaching and started kind of to implement a performance analysis setup at a private company. It was really challenging. Um, in terms of footage, it was everything was recorded in the iPad, so it was a nightmare uh, to do. That. <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing. If you're working in performance analysis, you need at least a very decent camera and a high place to get the the, the all the aerial footage, so you can actually uh, do things that we we call coding the matches, because that's you know when you work for clubs that don't have any big departments and you're just the only person coding the matches getting all the stats from that match plus doing all the pretty you know oh where this pass starts where this pass uh, kind of pass maps and and where the players receive the ball and so on by yourself it's just a crazy amount of time yeah i was gonna say i mean so you're actually like inputting the data as well obviously because at certain levels even if it's a, a you know football league club um they might not necessarily have, you know, they're under, I don't know, their academy teams, they're under 15s or under 14s, and there might not be a team of people there taking the data. So do you have to take in the data as well at that level, as well as then take that afterwards and then also put the recording together? It's like, it sounds like you have to become a cameraman overnight. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you, <laughs> because you start seeing some volunteer roles for, I don't know, non-league clubs asking for a cameraman. <laughs> it's not even like, <laughs> they really want a cameraman just to record and, take some highlights and just show to the manager. It's, it's really funny. I remember I applied for some role and the guy literally replied to me saying, oh, we just need a cameraman, really. We don't need <laughs> it's like, you know, I could actually do much more than that, but it, it was really interesting. And, and from there, just getting more experience, kind of like playing with different platforms. Uh, one thing that led to it, actually, I, I tried to mix it up with a platform called Tableau, which is amazing. Anyone that's listening and wants to get into data, it's really good. There's a free version. It's called Tableau Public. And I started creating uh, some 
end passes, where do they start, where do they finish, uh, all these different events from from my from the footage that I had. Or let's say this academy, we would play against um, Welling United, for example. They have video cameras, so we I could watch the game and just do it that manually. Still hard work as well, but with better footage. Uh, and, you know, just going. And, and then I found this amazing Twitter community where there's loads of people that are data scientists or, like, they're just mm. navigating through that path and not even working for any professional football clubs. You see kids that are 16-year-olds that are doing amazing things. And I was like, when I was 16, I was definitely not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and you got, like, I really want to learn. And I guess... I always had this curiosity uh, part of me that trying to learn how to do something new, I'll be like, okay, well, this is a new skill. I'm just going to self-teach myself how to do that. And to be fair, like we can say really bad things about the internet and the damage that it does to people, which it does, but we often don't look at the great impact that in the internet, because I found so many useful resources uh, to try to learn different graphs or how to manipulate data, data a certain way. And that really helped me to become proficient on, on this platform. And, and I'm really grateful. I imagine that's how a lot of, you know, we talk about 16-year-old kids who've got these great skills. Like, they, I don't follow the data community just generally in football as much as I follow the fantasy, fantasy Premier League community, which I do follow quite a lot. And some of the people on there, <laughs> even just on fantasy football-related, are... Are pulling these kind of um, graphics together, these you know an, an, an analyses, and that's not only just because I mean it's it's kind of a sign of how the internet is, as you said, of skilled people to allow them to use these kind of tools like Tableau and so, but also just the availability of data and information online just makes it so much easier now. Um, if you went back twenty five years, even in the Premier League, you know the availability of a lot of the data that we scrutinise <laughs> scrutinise now, even at a fantasy football level, um, wouldn't have been available or so readily available that you know, the 16 year old, um, person can, can just take that. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's good to hear. It's good to hear that you're, uh, you learn new skills because I certainly don't know how to use Tableau and I wish I did. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so moving, moving on. So now currently you are a data scientist at, at Fulham Helio. And before I ask you about your brief stint at Mansfield town, because I'm really interested in the lower leagues and how that works there. Do you mind telling us about your role at, at Fulham? Um, and also, I'd be really interested to know, and I think our listeners would as well, how you define the role of a data scientist at a football club, or even how your football club defines it. Well, my role has been really interesting so far. Uh, it's the first time that I'm working full-time for a professional football club. Uh, my previous roles in football, and they were professional ones or semi-pros, were always uh, volunteer or part-time or just hourly rates. So it was not something very solid. Mm. Um, and uh, what I would say of my role, my role is pretty much, I, I'm working more with the academy on everything from under nines to under 23s, uh, providing um, all the data, let's say coaches want to take insights of, of a certain player or, or, or the teams in general. They want to know, okay, which player is faring uh, in this age group. Now, keep in mind that it's only preseason, but there's going to be a time that uh, according to, uh, other Premier League status academies that you need to certain do certain things and keep certain track of, of measurements of players, which we have loads of, of tracking variables. 
So there's someone that needs to actually made him made it nice and presentable uh, for the relevant stakeholders. So it's really interesting because I get to work with coaches, with performance analysts, uh, medical teams in terms of, of what sort of data they want. And um, unfortunately, because of COVID rules, uh, now it's a bit more relaxed, but every every club, and I not, don't speak this necessarily in Fulham, but I, I assume that lots of clubs at some point because of uh, COVID uh, restrictions, you had to have bubbles for each age group and so on. So it, it kind of made it difficult that that's in that sense for, for a lot of people that I know that work in football. But I'm really enthusiastic about the role, really exciting, um, enjoying, learning new skills, uh, kind of like getting to know what people like and, and, and what not. So it's very important as a data scientist that you know exactly how to relate and talk with other departments. That, that's like a very big uh, thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I can, I can imagine it um, being, being the case um, with any type of industry, really. You've got to be able to not only be good at your job on the technical side of things, but also to be able to communicate with other departments. Also, uh, Julio, I'm a Tableau user, um, so ignore Michael. Um, he's he's an amateur. <laughs> he, he, he's an amateur, but I, I use Tableau <laughs> in my day job. And unfortunately, not to analyze football data, but some some other things as well. But the question I kind of had was one thing I hear a lot about when I when I speak to analysts like, like yourself or data scientists or a lot of backroom members of staff for scouting as well in football is a lot of them start. And volunteering, like you said, and a lot of them do um, quite small jobs to work their way up. A question I've always wanted to know is, do you think that a lot of these analytics departments across the board, not saying Fulham specifically, but from the top of the Premier League all the way to the bottom, would you say that they're understaffed? Do, Do they need to have more members of staff to begin with? Because it seems as if a lot of the time work can be, can be so competitive and so hard to come by when clubs could probably do with bigger teams to begin with. No, I agree 100% what you're saying. And I'm sure that championship level, maybe very few clubs have the, and it comes back to financial, um, uh, you know, struggles for certain, certain clubs in, in terms of having big departments or small departments or having a performance analysis department. I know a club I'm not going to mention, but I know a club in League Two that they refused. The, actually, the manager disbanded the whole um, performance analysis and and data analysis department because, wow. it, yeah, because it was more important the financial well-being of, of signing players and things like that. And again, it, it, there's there should be more money invested on, on, on that side because it's those fine margins that it can actually help and again you have people that really believe in data and you have people that really don't believe it and just say you know what we're just going like all good old days with the tactics board on mm-hmm. the and that's all you need and again if you want to do that yes it's very valid um what i say is that your chances of achieving your goals might be better and increase if you have control of what we call the controllables, right? So if you have mm. control of things and improve your performance by just 1%, it might get you somewhere else that without the help, you would probably wouldn't get there. Again, it, it really depends on, on what, what is the club vision and, and so on. At Fulham, I can say that we have really good department in in the, since I arrived. I, I know for sure. I know that other clubs also have 
uh, great departments. And again, if you look at Premier League, I'm pretty sure almost every club has a quite big, big uh, department. If you look at Championship, I would say some clubs might not have it. And, and League One and League Two, some departments uh, prioritize the use of data or even or just performance analysis departments that they can do both. And some clubs, they don't. It's just a matter of allocating resources and it's uh, something that might change because uh, people undervalue the, the power of data in when using with the right context. Yeah, I suppose that the further you go down the leagues now, the you know the tighter the margins are for a lot of these clubs operating and we've seen so many clubs go out of business um, in, in recent seasons for a number of different reasons, i.e., you know, the disparity of, of wealth in football, um, but even just the lack of revenue at the, the lower la- lower tables and uh, the lower league tables. So, um, <laughs> for them, it, it might be a case of, well, can we actually genuinely afford to have this team of analysts? Um, can we re- can we allocate that resource elsewhere? However, you know, in the long term, it might actually save the money if they can make smarter business decisions and signings. But as I said, it's it's so difficult the further the further you go down. And uh, my next question was going to be um, about the relationship uh, between, say, the playing staff, coaching staff, or the analysts at, at, at Fulham. I know you work more with the academy, but do the coaches really buy into the data side at Fulham? Because, um, as you said, lower league clubs, or just if a particular manager or coaching staff are, you know, I don't know, less progressive in, them, in their ways, they might turn their nose about it. No, I do. Play, again, we do. The coaches buy in. I mean, I'm you know, the amount of data that we have to consolidate and take care of and, and present to the coaches. Obviously, again, it goes back to the relationship and not just at Fulham, but every other club that you have. Um, the coaches are very important because coaches have the power to decide. And again, not only to decide, maybe it's a strong word, but usually football team or, or clubs might be running uh, in a way that every team plays in a certain way leading up to the first team, let's say. There's clubs that do that. And the manager decides which kind of context they want to look at some variables, which is, mm. it, it makes sense. Everything needs to be in context. And again, it, it, it's really interesting because you might see different teams that might play a different style and you might see managers asking, oh, what about this specific data uh, in this context? Can we use it this way? Can you give me this data? So again, you, you, you in, as a data scientist or, or even as a performance analyst, um, you do need to, to have the coaches to be in, in your side because they need to buy in. Again, as I go back to what I said uh, about one league club team that just disbanded the whole thing because the manager didn't believe in data. Again, things like that happen everywhere. And, and something that you guys also mentioned, it's smarter decisions, of course, like they come with more investment or not. And something that I read the other day where I found it really interesting is that a lot of lower uh, league clubs, like let's say Championship Below, they they do uh, spend a lot of money in agent fees. Maybe those agent fees would be better allocated yeah. on, on performance analysis departments and, and data uh, science departments because it's it gets to the point that are you going to buy the player with the agent? Like how does that work? In the end, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's 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 a good uh, question, and again, it, I, I would say it varies uh, from club to club. 
but uh, usually yeah the coaches do i know that fulham i can assure that yeah they do buy into the idea mm, 100% yeah I, it's it's interesting because if if it's driven by the management and managers you know clubs change managers so often how do you actually get some consistency going it's so interesting your point earlier around um you know even at the academy level that the the a philosophy or an ethos might be might be kind of um, being built even from like the top down and from the management because they want to build Jurgen Klopp's a great example of that wanting to um, enforce the same kind of formations and playing style um, and pressing it at the youth levels and bring that through so that benefits the first team in the long run which it kind of feeds into what you're saying so Julio I'm really interested in your time at Mansfield Town as well as Fulham because as I said I, I support Sunderland in the League One where a bigger club than Mansfield many would say but I think it's really fascinating that, I mean, you know, I, I assume Mansfield have a, a recruitment team, but I can't imagine it being too extensive. So what could you tell us about your time there and how how, how, how heavily did someone like Mansfield Town use data in the recruitment process or even performance management analysis? So it was really interesting. Uh, I used to work at Chelsea Book Club at the foundation uh, with another coach who for uh, health issues he, could, he had to step down in coaching and he became a scout and he gained a lot of experience getting there and he actually uh, was the um, head of recruitment uh, for Mansfield Town and he saw that I was doing performance analysis and working. He asked me, would you like to just volunteer and see how we go through the processes and everything, how we define the variables that we want, which is, again, Different clubs would like to have different, uh, um, we call key performance indicators, KPIs, mm. uh, for for those uh, targets. And it was really interesting. You start like looking at at players depending on the on the the budgets of, of the of the club, of course, depending on on which leagues are these these targets playing. And then you just go there, you you go, and I remember everything being like on on a PowerPoint kind of like Excel spreadsheet template. And you just go there, and it was really interesting. I mean, and and I learned a lot from that experience. Unfortunately, it lasted eight months uh, because the department was disbanded. Um, it was quite quite sad. Uh, I did enjoy the experience. It was additional scouting experience in there. Uh, we watched a lot of footage because there was lockdown as well, so there was a lot of plays we could watch. Uh, in a week, and it was actually a big group of uh, volunteer uh, scouts as well. And we were just like, okay, what do you think of this player? Uh, we watch the player for X amount of times. Uh, there's a few KPIs that we had to keep a tally on. Um, obviously, the, the department also had some data. And you have services like, for example, Scout and so on, where, where certain clubs use it uh, to watch the matches, let's say uh, League One, uh, League Two, and so on. Uh, and, you, and it's pretty much just for recruitment, really. I use that platform and then you you get to see what the player is, trying to be less biased as well, which is a problem when you're scouting just without data. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I believe it's a good idea if you have the data or if you have an if you have that context that you watch the player and you're like, okay, well, trying to be less subjective. And then there's a question, okay, was that a clear or was that like a, a long ball? It would happen really because you cannot really see from some of the angles and you try to work it out and, and you get a general idea. 
mm. of how to report and and so on. And I can actually talk about a different experience, which was really interesting. I did the same thing for an Nasved Book Club, which is a second division uh, Norwegian club. Okay. Yeah, Norwegian club, and it was really interesting. Um, a bit more refined in certain areas. Uh, that's when I really be- became as well more of a data analyst with that role added to my responsibility, doing some visuals with Tableau, kind of looking for some measures of, of different players. And, and again, some of the things there were were quite interesting. Uh, the people did buy in, especially the owners of the club were very data-driven. Uh, because there was a new owner and new set of owners, and and then they they really were into the data analysis. It was good, but because some people wanted to, there was some disagreements on certain things, and, and that experience unfortunately didn't went out. But it was also still a good experience in terms of what mistakes I should not do in in, in a big department like that, because mm. the club uh, depended on reports and people commitments and so on. So you kind of like learn the what to do and not to do. Like it's very imperative. So just to finish off, I've got some a few questions for more of a discussion points. Um just more generally, Julio on just, you know, you're you know, you've done what you said you're very much part of a, a big wider Twitter community. And I think we've we've talked about, you know, your role as a data scientist at Fulham, what it was like at Mansfield. But just generally, I think there's been a, I mean, there's obviously been an explosion of the, the use of data in football. And you touched about KPIs at, um, at Mansfield Town um, in terms of the recruitment side. Um, do you think, I mean, this is, this is general questions now, you know, if so if assumptions can be made. But do clubs, do you think have certain key metrics for each position they analyze? Um, or would it depend on what the manager wants at that time? So even at Mansfield... Was there a KPI for one character of player or one type of player they want to build or want to bring in for newest positions, or was it set on a per position basis? And was that specific? No, again, like there's the general KPIs that you look, but again, and this is the beautiful thing about the evolution of football: you can have a defensive midfielder that has amazing playing ball playing ability. So obviously, mm-hmm. you want to include those creation and kind of passing KPIs because it's relevant to that player's role. And that's how you actually find similar players when you're trying to replace players by having those KPIs. Uh, Of course, you can go for, you know, like let's, uh, yes, we're looking at at midfielders, especially central midfielders with those kind of like, you have a general idea which KPIs and then you read from them what kind of player, the players, for example, It, it can work both ways. But yeah, some, some, you know, at Mansfield, there were certain KPIs that we wanted for a forward. And these are the KPIs we're going to look because that's the kind of forward that they wanted to look, let's say, for example. But I know at all the places, people do different things. They look for general KPIs or clubs that would create, for example, their own KPI based on, on different uh, metrics. And that's how they analyze performance or they do something outside the box. You have like a lot of new metrics. You have um, people who do research in terms of, of is there any correlation between two metrics, for example, that you can just actually combine it in one and, and analyze in a different way. So there's a lot sorts of things. I personally, uh, whenever I look at players with data, and obviously I try to put it in the context of, of team 
that, that, that the club, is, the player is playing at, um, what's the role, what kind of player it is. So going back to the to the midfielder, people assume that just oh, this exists two types of of uh, midfielder, central midfielders: the one that defends and the one that attacks. When there's so much in between those two. <laughs> And again, uh, data can be a really good thing to identify what kind of midfielder uh, is a certain player uh, based on certain KPIs that you choose or some generic KPIs. And you see someone like, okay, that's really interesting. So this player has quite high um, ball recoveries and he's still really amazing at at uh, chances created. And you're like, okay, that's mm. really interesting. And you start thinking of which kind of 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 midfielder is he or she in this case if you're analyzing women's football yeah i think it, it feels as if like the whole football world is trying to find the holy grail metric <laughs> so um that will tell them everything in one particular uh, number or ratio or percentage um my next question to you Hilo, is actually going to be on you know on some of these more you know, current metrics which i, I think a current like, so something like xg for example it's not that current it's actually been in the game for a while but it's only really just been popularized i know it's it got added to Sky Sports last season as part of their uh, their kind of data um, table they used to put on the screen. And I'm aware, or I've heard this from Etcher, so this is a really bad uh, frame of reference here, but uh, that it's going to be on FIFA 22 this year. Um, so do you think these kind of like theories around theories like XG, like expected assists and stuff are starting to be used more by, by football teams in their kind of performance and recruitment analysis? Um, and I suppose if you've got any experience of using those sort of expected metrics at, in your work, yeah, it's really interesting because I mean I'm not just in in work in my work, but for example in general. And again, people have this misconception about like say expected goals, and mm. people use it very isolated. Like you see people on like on on several, even on on as you said, like on the Premier League, they use it in one game. They're like, okay, <laughs> has yeah, but then you didn't actually discount the fact that if a team has a penalty. Your XG just goes exponentially yeah, yeah. more 0.74 because that's the probability in some models or 76 of scoring a penalty. <laughs> so it's almost as certain. <laughs> of course, you're going to have an extra uh, XG expected goals than the other team if, if, let's say, they had poor shots from from really difficult locations. Again, it's all mm. about the context as well that you do it and. And there's some companies that do great stuff with that. They they do put those shots, let's say, in con in in context. That it, it gives you something more approximate what you should have. But then again, you have isolated uses where people just put it. Oh, that's one match. But the right thing to do, actually, in every metric, not just in expected goals, it, it's the context and, and what is your sample size in terms of matches for you to do. Now, if I have a striker mm. that my striker has a an XG of, of uh, 15 over 10 games, and he had 20, sh uh, 20 shots, and let's say that he also had like two goals, then I would say, okay, you have a problem, mate, because you're underperforming. <laughs> so it's, it's very clear. But then again, I would probably look at the video. Okay, why is my striker not doing that? And okay, okay, maybe... The reason why he has so low XG on these shots, well, they were poor uh, shots. Maybe you can start seeing different things. Maybe his confidence is quite low. Or you can go in, even to another conclusion that maybe this kind of player, this kind of forward, I don't mind 
if this kind of four doesn't score too many goals, but he's actually creating more chances for my other players around him to actually score a goal. So again, it, it, mm. it really depends how you see it, the context, and how you use it. And again, you see a lot of things, and it's good that the Premier League and, and, and people are trying to using this advanced metrics, which I would say that the problem is in the way that some people are using, they're actually misusing it, and the general public and the general, the, you know, the general fans probably don't know what it is, and they just go into jumping this. Oh, I hate it! I hate this. Actually, what is that like? And you see, you start seeing on Football Manager as well, which they have expected goals as well, mm. and now on FIFA. So obviously, that there's an importance to it, and it, and it's just as any other any other metric. Like I've seen once on Sky Sports that they were comparing two centre backs, and they were putting goals and assists. Like okay. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, now if you go in a different context of which one had more goals or assists in corners or for, or set pieces, I'll be like, okay, that's a good way to 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 do a very basic analysis mm. and even drill down into different things. But it's just as you use it. I I personally believe it's it's a really good indicator of what is expected from certain players because these are mathematical models so they do try to predict uh, things over time and we have an example there's a a running joke on twitter that brighton uh, might catch in their expected g because they their last season they had the highest g uh, expected goals of of almost uh, any premier league team yeah, I think it was like fifth or something. And another one that's been quite amusing from a Brighton perspective this season is, again, the fantasy football community, this is where a lot of my data knowledge comes in. But Lewis Dunk, uh, apparently his XG inside the box for Brighton is really high because, as you said, if I mean, if you never if you never actually watched football and you saw that, you think, okay, yeah, this guy looks like he's actually someone who can score goals, but actually he's a centre-half who's only ever making his shots from um, very close range. So obviously his XG... For any shot, it's going to be fairly high. And if they're playing in a game where they are putting a lot of crosses in and getting um, corners in, it still tell you something. You know, if he's if he's having shots as a centre half in the box from decent positions, that's a good indicator that you know he might be someone you put in your fantasy team, for example. Um, I always say that, or I've been saying this season that I've seen so much Adama Traore, Traore love on Twitter for fantasy football, and <laughs> I always say if you if you just took his data alone. Uh, in terms of like su- successful um, dribbles, number of dribbles, shots inside the box. Apparently in the first few games, he had one of the highest shots inside the box for a midfield player in the Premier League. You think of that, okay, he's the first player on my team. But actually, if you watch him play, he can be quite erratic. He's not necessarily someone you put straight in. Then that's a great example of where you need to actually have the context and actually really watch the game as well and apply that context and have them in tandem um, to to actually get the most out of them. Um so my, my my final question, well actually my second second final question, uh, Julio. Um, so are you aware of any kind of up and coming kind of metrics that are getting traction in the game that would be interesting? We we did an article a while back when we used to run our blog on packing. So I don't know if you've heard of packing, but it's another one that's been been used in in the game. And then I've also heard of expected threat, which I don't have a clue what it is. <laughs> yeah, but so, um, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, with the packing, it's quite interesting. Um, so in Germany, um, a company started looking into a concept, which is how many lines does a pass uh, breaks uh, the opposite team, either defensive or attacking. 
and then you add those values into your backing um, measurements. And it's quite interesting because those are what you try to look for the effectiveness of of passes that forward passes that that are are quite important between those lines. And I, I do find that quite interesting actually. Uh, it's a very good indicator of what kind of team uh, you're playing. And let's say if you're looking for your next opponent and then you see a packing of, let's say, uh, 100-something in 10 games, you're like, okay, this team is very direct and play a lot between the lines and breaks a lot of them by by those uh, four uh, passes. So you can kind of have an indicator of, of the player itself and the team, how they, they, they play. In terms of the expected threat, it, it's really interesting because I've seen from uh, Tom Morville from the Athletic, and that's where I've seen it. That's where I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I've seen it before as well uh, throughout the last season in some places. Some people uh, shedding some light into it, and, and it's how much threat does your build up or any action that will build up from from certain players um, contribute to a goal or or the 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 chances that that might end up that play might end up in a goal. Okay, interesting. That's a great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's great definitions. I just had to look at the article that we did because I want to find out the the two. Because um, I remember writing this and I, so I knew what packing was, but I forgot the names of the play the ex players that were involved in its creation. So it was Stefan Reinhardt yeah. and um, Jens Hegler. I think the latter was it. Ah, uh, Bristol City, I believe. Um, but yeah, it was interesting because both those players spent some time at Bayer Leverkusen, particularly Stefan Reinhardt, uh, and for them to you know then come out of the game and then go into into data and looking at something like packing as a, a metric that they're pulling together to, you know, perhaps provide to their clients, football clubs, the like analysts is uh, is really interesting. So Julio, thank you so much for coming on. My final question for you is, who has been your favourite signing of the transfer window? Or, Say so who's your favorite, or who do you think it could be the biggest surprise, one or the other? Well, it's it's really difficult. I mean, I I'm going to say this obviously for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, it's because I'm a sporting fan. We just lost Nuno Mendes to PSG, which is one of the best signings. Uh, 19 years old left back, uh, really good player. I definitely recommend to see anyone that doesn't know him. Uh, he's really really good. I personally think he could have started last year as the, the main left back if it wasn't for injury on the first matches that it was injured, it wasn't available. But really good. But you have amazing players. Like I think Cucurella, for example, to to uh, Brighton, it's like one of these signings that you're like, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Really uh, mm. good as well. But yeah, you have a very good... Uh, someone was joking that they were, uh, you know, for clubs that actually sign interesting players and, and obviously through data, they, they're increasing their uh, X sensibility <laughs> in terms of how they, they do these this transfers. And yeah, like um, I think also uh, Brian Hill to Spurs, it was a very good deal for both Sevilla and, and again. Mm. And Sevilla is also amazing how uh, Monkey uh, does all the recruitment uh, for them, it, it's just amazing how they just replace players uh, based on, on data. It, it's really amazing. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the X sensibility because I, I also saw that as well. 
I thought it was a really good play on words. Um, and obviously, you mentioned you mentioned some uh, really interesting players. We will definitely take uh, take those names away. Um, I have to ask you this as well because um, I think John knows I'm going to ask as well. What are your thoughts on Arsenal's transfers? Because I'm an Arsenal fan, uh, Julio. You see, and it's not a very good time for me. So I'm hoping I'm hoping <laughs> your answer is going to inspire um, a bit of belief in me. It, I mean, I, I try not to comment a lot in terms of, of what some clubs do. I mean, I, I do comment a lot on my free time on Twitter uh, mm. with other uh, people in terms. I do think in terms of players, the players that not necessarily how much money Arsenal spend. Uh, I do think, yes, they, they did sign interesting players. Uh, again, you get to a point that you have Man City, you have Chelsea, you have Man United. Uh, you, you know, you have clubs that spend a lot of money in the best top players. And and I, I was saying this to someone the other day. I think the Premier League has probably right now, uh, apart from Messi being in 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 um, Mbappe and Neymar being there, like you have probably the, the best players in in the Premier League. So it's really hard for for a lot of clubs. So obviously you're gonna have players that that are very good. Like I, I think. Um, um, I think Tommy Sayer is going to join Arsenal. Really good transfer, in my opinion. Can mostly centre back, uh, can play centre back on the right, can play right back. Really interesting one. Um, Odegaard, for me, is quite good in a sense of he's the only pure kind of ten that, that Arsenal has. Uh, and since he already knows what Arteta wants from from him, I think he will do well. And and. I, f- I think in football, like, and again, I-, I do have a fan side as well. And I try not to be as re- reactionary, but we do react a lot as, as, as football fans. We don't yeah. realize, we, and, and it might be, for example, for you as an Arsenal fan, it might be really hard to hear, like, trust the process and everything. But if you look at managers that lasted for a long time, it's because they were backed and, and, and they were backed for a long time and maybe the media was not, like they didn't have such an impact in terms of of reporting news, in terms of of getting those fans uh, more actively in social media and things and things like that. So that obviously that pressure to the players now that now the players don't have any more just the press, the paper press. Now they have online communities that are talking about them. They have their personal um, Instagrams accounts and Twitters and so on. So there's a lot of factors that that might go into what is it might be wrong with certain players, not just at Arsenal, but just giving kind of um, an example. But I do think in terms of transfers, I do think the yeah, interesting. I think Ben White is a, is a, actually a good centre back in terms of numbers from from both when it was uh, with Bielsa and at Brighton as well. Um, I I thought when. Arsenal was negotiating the player with Brighton. I thought it would be uh, Bizuma because he is a monster. So if yeah. anyone wants to see his numbers, like <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, it is indeed. And I think, uh, Julia, that's that's the perfect summary. Trust the process and, and it's not all doom and gloom, <laughs> which is what I'll take away from that one. <laughs> well, I think it just needs some kind of uh, cheering up after the first three games of the season. But um but yeah, hopefully we'll see a bit of a bit of our tech magic coming through. But Julio, thank you so much for um, coming on uh, this evening, giving up your time to come on and, and talk to us about data and, and football and your experiences today. Um, it was really fascinating. Um, and, and really good luck with your endeavours at Fulham. 
Thank you guys as well. Thank you.